Welcome to our After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. If you work in education and looking to improve or develop your skills, then this podcast is here to help you. Happy New Year, New Year, everybody, and welcome to Series 2 of After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors, and we'll be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom. I'm Georgie, Director of Learning Development for the Classroom Partnership, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Helen Morgan, a previous Head of School and Associate Consultant, Andy Bridge, current Deputy Principal, and I'm also joined by Lorna Bradford, our Head of Quality Assurance and, and Impact. Coronavirus and the new Omicron has presented challenges for everyone over the last year, and it's also presented opportunities for us to learn and to rethink school structures, delivery models, and also support for wellbeing for 2022. So without further ado, I welcome our guests. Happy New Year, everybody. And it'll be great for us to start focusing this year on education emerging trends. There's lots going on out there. So um, it'll be great for us to sort of chat about what's happening. Andy, um, we've got a new education secretary, Nadine Zahawi. And also, I think there's a mention of a promised white paper uh, in May. So what what do you see this means for education in 2022 this year? Martin and Georgie. Um, yeah, so like you said, we've got a new education secretary, a new white paper. Um, there's a lot of speculation about what that might involve. There's a lot of um, thoughts. It probably is going to include a, a further push on the academisation agenda that's been rumbling on for 10 years or more now. Um, and what either incentives or pressures will be placed on schools to continue with that academization journey. Uh, there's some suggestion it's going to focus on illiteracy and the numeracy um, and there's been a lot of talk of this this bottom third of students that don't get grade fours or above in GCSEs and what their curriculum and qualifications package looks like um, and, and as you progress into post-16 and adulthood how illiteracy and the numeracy kind of presents barriers to life and learning and contributing to the economy and what support can be put in place for there so I think there'd probably be something on that and then there's other kind of speculation with some rumblings maybe SATs will be brought back into year nine to check the quality of curriculum and assessment in key stage three there's talk about scrapping the working hours directive um, for teachers so kind of a lot of rumbling a lot of uncertainty obviously with any new education secretary you get new priorities and new change I'm sure the um tutoring program will be kind of reinforced and hopefully rolled out and that commitment to catching up uh, learning post-COVID but yeah probably quite a lot of speculation and not not concern not worry but a lot of people in schools waiting to see what the next few years looks like as you said it's been 2016 since the last white paper so an awful lot's happened in school since then so it will be interesting for us to be able to see that kind of future plan of where we're heading in the next few years. And hopefully there'll be significant investment around that as well, with all this, the uncertainty and the need for um, catch up. Um, we've seen such a shift uh, and uh, in education over the past five, now six years in 2022. So 
um, yeah, I think it's important that we have this sort of marker in in the sand to sort of move us forward now. Absolutely, yeah. and I think I imagine that'll be one of the kind of drivers of pushing the mat agenda is you know there's been a lot published recently about school budgets and it is mainly uh, local authority maintained schools and standalone academies that are in the deficit budgets now um whereas many mats are holding quite substantial reserves so i think that's probably will be used as a, a driver to move people um into those those mats yeah absolutely so uh, just thinking and we touched there on um sort of the catch-up tuition um, and the need to support the students that have been disadvantaged during um, the ongoing pandemics. Um, Lorna, how do you see this sort of from your quality assurance role around tutoring? How do you see um, this impacting the education landscape? Thanks, Georgie. Good morning and Happy New Year to everybody. Um, absolutely. Tuition is going to pay a play a major part this year in our education landscape. I'm actually absolutely, absolutely confident of that. And just before Christmas, I was in some schools around uh, the north of England and I was looking at some of the tutoring that was happening and the impact that was taking place on a very short period of time on students progressing their maths and literacy skills was really impressive. And I think our work around quality assurance of, of tuition will continue to play um, a really big part in raising the profile of tutoring as well. Um, at the moment with the NTP or the National Tuition Programme and also the SLTG or School Led Tuition Grant, Tuition is still a really affordable option for schools who we know are in um, financial um, stress points in, in places um, and we can realistically be facilitating tuition for large numbers of young people at a really good value for money and, and that work around closing the gap could potentially be huge. Um, we also know that the government are investing an additional £10 million this year um, around catch up for maths and literacy in those areas worst affected by the Covid school closures. And that'll be for schools to invest in either intervention or um, specialist teachers or tuition. So there's there's definitely movement around that. Um, and I think it's it's a really good opportunity here just to sing the praises of our tutors across the country who are doing a phenomenal job under you know, the difficulties that we're all facing. And I think this year there's going to be huge movements around professional development for tutors, um, around providing them with really high quality CPD and enhancing and celebrating that professional community of tutors who are often um, unsung heroes and, and many work in more than one school. Many of them do private tuition in the evening and so may find it tricky to identify with one particular professional community. But that's something that I see being really high profile this year as we continue to see tuition being a huge benefit within our schools. Yeah, thank you. I think that point around actually celebrating and, and uh, they've always been the unsung heroes. So we've seen a real step change in, um, particularly from the education secretary around um, the tuition support and the impact that tutors are having. So that's a, a really powerful thing and I hope that continues. Morning, Helen, how are you? I hope you're well. Um, I think uh, it would be great to sort of touch on some of the research that's coming out at the moment. We've you know, in 2021 we saw a lot of research-based practice, um, particularly with the Education Endowment Foundation at the forefront. 
Um, where do you see sort of some of the research taking us this year in 2022? Hi, Georgie. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. It's great to be here. I, I, I think, I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it, just listening to everybody with the emerging trends. And I think, I don't know whether this is an emerging trend, but I think it's definitely a continuing trend. Is that interest in research um, informed practice and particularly in cognitive science. Um, and I think it's really interesting, you know, I started teaching in, in 1995. And I think back then teachers were, were using research, but access to research now is so easy for teachers. And I think teachers are really thinking about how they use research in their everyday practice now. And they're approaching things with a you know, quite rightly, a much more critical eye. So they're not just accepting that someone says this is what you have to do. They're actually asking, you know, do we know whether this works and do we know how well it works? And if I'm going to do a particular thing, what's the best bet in terms of how I approach it with the evidence? Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of work through Thirsty Scholars on um, Rosenshine's principles. Um with the After the Bell podcasts, and there's been a lot of interest in that. But I think, you know, access to EEF research is, is really kind of gathering momentum and looking beyond the EEF research as well. And, and you, I know Andy and I were talking kind of earlier about even things like um, schools writing their PP plan now has to be research informed. So schools can't just get that money and spend it however they like they have to show that they're spending that money in a way that is going to benefit students based on the research Andy I don't know if you want to chip in there with your experience in school on that yeah I mean I think obviously schools have had to write and publish a pupil premium plan for a long time but as you said really before as long as you could justify what you wanted to spend it on it there didn't need to be a research evidence base and Probably, I think a lot of schools just spent the money on what they want and almost wrote the plan as an afterthought to justify what they'd already spent that money on um, or whose salaries it was already tied up in. Um, whereas it's that's helpful. I think it's just made you stop, think actually, we've got a limited pot of money in a certain group of students to try and show impact with what does the evidence show us is going to have the most impact? What would be the things we can spend this limited pot on? Um, that's going to give our students the best chances so making sure that staff are obviously your pupil premium lead probably um, engages with that research and presents it to SLT writes the plan but having all staff have an awareness of that research and why some of those spending decisions had, have been made and even filtering through to governors like governors usually take quite an interest in pupil premium spending um, PP plans so getting governors and trustees to have an understanding of the research base that's led to those decisions I think is a, a good thing. Yeah I think just just kind of linked to that as well when we think about research I think it's kind of um, really gone hand in hand with a, a shift in practice I think schools now are much more intentional and deliberate about what they're doing and, and why they're doing it so I think things have a you know a really really strong rationale that's often really well shared and, and understood among staff as well and I think that's really helpful um, at a teacher level for teachers not just to be told to do something but to 
to understand that there's a really strong literature or re research base that underpins what they're doing and why they're being asked to do it. I think also, Helen, it means that, that you'll have their buy-in as well. There's much more of a community and it'll have a wider impact if it's actually all of the staff are on that journey at the same time. Andy, would you uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's, you know, I'm all for engaging with research. I think it's probably, um, it's a really positive step, step to have um, more staff understanding that research based about cognitive science and um, the science of learning and we see that threaded through from the um, ITT core content, the early career framework, the MPQs as that golden thread that they talk about. Um, I think there's maybe a little bit more work to do, Helen was talking about that criti critical evaluation of research with it almost not being seen as this is the only way, this is the only thing and actually reading it around some of the um, reading some of the research that sits underneath those papers rather than just solely going off the headlines in the early career frameworks. You don't want, yes, there's good evidence for those things, but you want stuff to understand the reason and the rationale and not just see them as a, a straight jacket and a constraint. Lorna, is that your experience? Absolutely, I'd agree with everything that Andy and Helen were saying. And I think that if if we consider what we've been through over the past year two years now those experiences are only going to be strengthened and we'll certainly be relying on the research more so to make sure we're making the right decisions at the right moments with the the best intentions at heart I'd agree completely it'd be interesting I think to see how that pans out Helen and you've probably got some experience of this with the um the ITT review and what that looks like so obviously moving to a kind of very research-led profession at the same time that universities are maybe being or some universities seem to be steered out of ITT and it's becoming more school-led and how that engagement with research continues to look at at the heart of that. Yeah I think I mean that's a really interesting point and I think that there is a myth isn't there, that kind of a research-based uh, approach to education is is new because I think it has always been there through HE provision and I think it would be really unfair to suggest that it it hasn't um, but I think one of the the key things with it is that you know good and great practice my experience would say looks like lots and lots of different things and I think what we've got to make sure we do with the research is is use it to inform our practice but not to let it straight jacket our practice because at the point where we let it straight jacket our practice that's when you kind of lose the innovation and and the desire to, to research and ask more questions. And as educators, um, that's one of the things that we should always be doing, isn't it? You know, we should be asking, you know, how well are we doing? How do we know? How do we how do we actually get better at what we're doing? And it's a continuous process. So if what we do is we just take the research and then we think we're finished and we stand still, for me, that's the point when we probably have lost it as a profession. Um, I don't know what, it's what not Andy how you and George is. Like, no, no, I completely agree. You wouldn't want that as the teacher for how your students would engage with the material you deliver. You'd want them to question things. You'd want them to probe and understand and read further and consider alternative points of views. And ideally, that's where we'll get to as a profession with all teachers doing that with the research about pedagogy and curriculum. Yeah, 
And and we also need to be mindful. We've always got to keep the the student and the children at the forefront, um, and uh, just not take them through a process because we're told that's the right thing to do. Actually, test and challenge it, and and ultimately do the right thing for the the pupils in our classes. So um, it's all well and good having research practice, and we're told that it's informed and and from our experience, if it's done well, it really makes an impact. But when it's done badly, it can actually undermine what you're trying to achieve in the classroom as well. Um, so just thinking sort of about keeping our children at the forefront, I think we're seeing also um, sort of a real shift towards focus on the whole student, Andy, and um, personal development and a, mu a much more focus around that. Did you want to sort of share with us your observations around that? Yeah, again, a lot of schools have been doing this for many, many years, but we did go through a period in schools where it was um, schools and Ofsted were very, very accountability outcomes focused. And the main thing was the percentage of students that pass English and maths and you progress eight and attainment eight figure. And actually the student experience was a, almost an afterthought as long as they got some good headlines in a lot of schools. I'm not saying everywhere, um, whereas now the there does seem to be a much greater focus on the whole child and their experience, that personal development, whether that's community work, careers, um, kind of charity, um, employability, a huge range of um, you know, even things like public speaking seems to be making a bit of a resurgence, trying to prepare students as, as best as we possibly can for what's what's next in their lives rather than only leaving with a series of exam certificates. Lorna, did you want to build on that? Well, one of my most enjoyable positions when I was a school leader was actually assistant principal in charge of the student experience and personal development. And um, anybody who has that job in schools at the moment, first of all, you have my full admiration because it's a really busy job. But what a fantastic job to have, because your job is ultimately to make sure that young people have the very best time in schools that they can and that they leave you as rounded, well-developed um, citizens ready to make a positive impact. And I used to love line managing those areas. And I hope that 2022 sees a real passion in schools for these these particular areas, especially things like the Duke of Edinburgh Award and developing reward systems and including leadership within schools for, for young people and students, because those opportunities have been sorely missed over recent years and it would be fantastic to see um, schools really investing time and effort into those areas for the benefit of our young people. So that, I hope, is a really exciting prospect for 2022. I can I can feel your uh, excitement and energy there, Lorna, already. She's smiling, so that's a great thing to hear. Um, I just coming back to you, actually, Lorna, we obviously in in um, the end of 2021, we saw the COP26 um, sort of event happening up in um, Scotland. And there was a lot of publications, a lot of evidence, um, a lot of commitment from our sort of governments to to move this forward. How important do you think environmental issues are going to be for schools and will this remain at the forefront um, and centre or is it something that's just going to be forgotten within the uh, the challenges of Omicron? 
Well, the reality is that our school leaders have gone back into a whirlwind of challenges at the start of this new 2022 year. Um, I would really hope that schools manage to find the opportunity to continue to hold the profile environmental issues um, where it should be front and centre, although the reality is that that will be challenging for them. Um, we also mentioned earlier around school budgets and I think there's a need for um, private companies to really consider their corporate social responsibility around how they um, make being environmentally sustainable affordable for schools because actually you, you may think that a school could very easily recycle all of their single-use plastics or the amount of paper that's thrown away at the end of the year but actually for a school's operation manager that's a really expensive investment to get a private company to come and take away all of that waste um, so I think that it will be a challenge. Um, going back to what I just said around student leadership and the student experience, so many schools used COP26 brilliantly and innovatively to engage the minds of young people to really consider how they become global citizens and we saw work packs being sent out to schools and schools were doing their own news reports and trying to be really proactive there was a buzz there was a palpable buzz but then of course the news headlines are now completely devoid of all of those um stories and it would very easily slip to the bottom of the priority list, I'm sure. Um, just needs a few strong voices, I hope, amongst the school communities to keep this afloat. But I think with that one, Georgie, it's a case of time will tell, really. Absolutely. Andy, do you see that being a focus for the schools um, on the ground? Absolutely. I'd just uh, reiterate um, what you just said then, Lorna, about anything um, that can be done to support the financial viability of it because the cost of recycling bins and um, you, you, like you said it, it just seems like such a simple step that all schools should be doing um, but the cost is phenomenal to get that waste separated and removed from school and at a time when a lot of schools are facing budget pressures you, you don't really want budgets to be the thing that stops you engaging with that environmental agenda so absolutely yeah. Helen, have you had an experience with the uh, head teachers that you worked with around this? Have they have they shared this sort of similar situation? I think I mean I'd i totally agree yeah with with what Andy um, and Lorna are saying about budgets um, being a challenge, and I think it's a real challenge for head teachers because you know if we take the the climate um, challenge issues and the the COP twenty six agenda. You know, the, there was a lovely post um, during the, the whole kind of um, conference which said something along the lines of, you know, if not us, who? If not now, when? And the level of urgency that's required in relation to that is is significant. Um, yet it's balancing that against all of the other agendas and being able to afford it. Um, and, you know, the notion where you have to be able to afford to be able to 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 recycle um, strikes me as, as really crazy. Um, but it's a reality that school leaders are facing and we need a better, I suppose, meeting of minds between um, 
you know, the corporate world and industry and education, um, if we're going to make it work. Um, and that the question is, you know, where is where is the hunger and drive for that from the corporate world and industry? Or is it yeah. just all words? Yeah, it could it could all be words, but let's let's hope not. Um, it would be a very sad situation. So let's watch watch this space and let's be advocates of uh, continuing to drive that forward as well. I know also um, we're due for an actual formal SEM review um, in around Easter time. Lorna, did you want to share with us um, sort of what that will mean for schools? Yeah, thanks, Georgie. I think this is actually expected in 2019. Um, the, the latest send review is it's overdue, but um, I think we can uh, give them a bit of leeway given what's been happening in schools. Um, there's some really interesting statistics coming out around SEND at the moment, especially around the allocation of EHCPs, education healthcare plans for young people with um, specific special educational needs and disabilities. Now, those of us who are old enough to remember the old statements which preceded EHCPs and they were phased out in 2014 um, might be surprised to learn that actually there are double the number of EHCPs being um, approved currently than statements back in 2014 and ultimately EHCPs replace statements. So it's the same thing. Now, yes, of course, a little bit of population increase, but actually we could interpret that as um, professionals being better at diagnosing specific needs and our professional development allowing us to support young people and their needs better perhaps. Um, but on the flip side of that, there's, there's also some concern that actually quite a few EHCP applications are being um, wrongly dismissed by local authorities and when they end up at the appeal stage is something like 95% of them are actually being pushed through, which could be suggest a suggestion that, that, that local authorities are either um, backlogged maybe with the amount of applications they're getting through, maybe they don't have the funding to see these through, or there's a lack of skill perhaps there to actually correctly put them through. Who knows, it could be many of those different factors. But what it really boils down to is what does this look like in the classroom? Because if we've got students without EHCPs who need them or increasing numbers with them, that puts a lot of pressure on special educational needs departments in schools and also class teachers who have to deliver that quality first teaching to a range of different needs. In a class of 30, you might be looking at easily six, seven, eight different needs of students, all which require differentiation and personalisation, all which may require CPD from leadership teams. You may be looking at LSAs or TAs to support those young people. There's a huge um, potential here, both for supporting young people and making sure that they have equal opportunities to, to those peers who don't have SEND, but also that there might be areas of um, things being missed at the moment too. So it'll be interesting to see what comes from this SEND review, um, whether or not it's going to be a um, huge scale shift, looking at a different code of practice, looking at different um, criteria for what becomes SEND, or whether it's just um, revised recommendations. We wait to see, but I think that um, it's it's time now. We need to make sure that our students are 
getting the absolute best deal that they can. Andy, how will that affect your school, do you think? It's really interesting. We, we've got a, a large SEN team, uh, you know, an experienced SENCO. We've got um, a big team of LSAs and it's a constant battle trying to cover bases, trying to make sure that the students have got enough support, they're getting the interventions and the support that they're entitled to. Um, so anything that supports schools to do, that's really welcome. But it's going to be balanced with that issue of budget and um, funding and cost and it will be really interesting to see how that plays out and alongside that um, SEN issue we've got this kind of um, we know that lockdown led to a, a huge surge in mental health concerns with students backlogs for CAMS referrals are absolutely astronomical and um, so I think the the issues we're seeing with SEND coupled with the issues with mental health is a real kind of ticking time bomb of um, it, it's going to be really tough for schools to deal with that without a proper strategic plan and without the resources needed to go with it. So that'll be really interesting to see how how we can kind of unpick that this year. Absolutely. And I think any support that we can give um, to ensure that our tutors and our, our teachers are adequately supported to help with those mental health agendas has has got to be a priority as well. And a quick plug here, um, we're offering out a free um, mental wellbeing program for any teachers, any tutors, and we're just doing it because it's the right thing to do, no other reason. Um, and uh, hopefully that will filter down a little bit into the classroom to enable them to support uh, children and students that have been through some really harrowing and uh, challenging times. Helen, how would you feel and, and build on, on Andy and Lorna's thinking around the, the send agenda at the moment? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, you know, it, it's so important, the send agenda, isn't it? And I think it kind of really fits with that, that wider agenda of inclusion. Um, and, you know, for me, the, the starting point for all schools is to make sure that they have an attitude of inclusion um, and a really strong belief that all children matter, um, that all children need to have a great education um, and that we, you know, that focus that Andy talked about earlier on the development of the whole person with personal development is absolutely key. Um, and, you know, Schools, I think, are, are often, um, you know, working with literally the their bare minimum resource for those children, um, and they're being really smart and they're being really strategic in terms of how they use those resources, not just to support the children but also to support their families. And I think it's a, about kind of with with the review, really thinking about, you know. How do we maximise the impact of the resources that we have for those children in schools? Because it's it's like you said earlier, Georgie, um, we need to keep children front and centre. We need to make sure that those children who are vulnerable um, don't get lost, that they have a really strong sense of belonging, that they feel valued and that they are included and that they get the support that they need um, not just to thrive academically, but also to thrive personally 
and that's a real challenge. But I think for me, that always starts with an attitude of inclusion and, and that belief. If schools believe that and they really know their students and they know their families well, then you've got a much better chance of making sure that those students get a good deal. I think that's uh, quite a powerful statement there, Helen. Um, we want to make sure that our children thrive throughout 2022. So as we draw to a close with our podcast today, um, I'd like to go around and ask what are your key observations or emerging trends that you think we should all be focusing in on? What would be the one key area, Andy, for example, that you would want to focus on for 2022? I think the main thing for me is we know there's going to probably be a lot of policy change, a lot of high level stuff on academisation, on send reviews and um, policy at a national level. But as you've kind of touched upon all the way through this, not letting those kind of political changes or strategic changes get in the way of us focusing on the children that are in front of us. Like this summer, we've got students sitting A-levels that have never sat formal exams in their life. We've got, you know, it looks pretty certain our exams are going to go ahead this summer. Um, what what that results profile looks like for those students that have missed so much education, how that affects progression to university and employment. So there's, I think, a real need to, yes, be aware of all the policy change and the emerging high level issues, but not let that detract from our folks on the, the children that are in front of us right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Lorna, what would be your one wrap up from our conversation today? Watch this space around tutoring, I would suggest. I think that our talent pool of tutors nationally is incredible. Um, they are, many of them are um, previous uh, classroom teachers or school leaders. They understand what schools are going through. They understand the needs of young people. And actually they can really support with all of the agendas that we've talked about today. Um, if schools deploy tutors really effectively and efficiently, they can be a huge additional resource um, for schools and I'm really looking forward to working with many tutors um, around their development and raising the um, profile of tuition as a valuable profession so let's see where we go with that. Exciting times for us for tutors and for the education area and arena as well. Helen your final wrap-up for today. Okay um, it's it's a really tough one, isn't it, when the, there's so many things to think about, but I think it's always fairly simple. Um, you know, my view is keep the focus on learning um, and make sure that children are safe. Um, so that learning agenda alongside the well-being agenda is key for me. Ch children learn best when they feel safe and valued. Um, we need to make them safe. We need to make them feel valued. And then we need to teach them as well as we can. Um, and if we can do those things, then we've probably played a reasonably big part as, as educators in, in securing a better future for them. Absolutely. And ultimately is about the future of our children and ensuring that they thrive. Thank you very much, all three of you. It's been an absolute uh, insight. You delve deep into many, many different areas today. We've done COP26. We've talked about budgets, the white papers, send review. Um, so that all of those will be areas that we can unpack in, in a great amount of detail. So we've only just been able to touch on those today. Um, so we will be 
having a further after their podcast, which will be happening weekly. Um, next week, we're going to be unpacking and furthering our discussions and top tips. But you can pick up the After the Bell podcast, which we released on a weekly basis and are aimed to provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things education. Um, and this could be listened to on your daily commute, on your treadmill, focus of the day, or as Andy likes me to say, whilst you're cooking your dinner. Um, this has been After the Bell. This is brought to you by Thursday Scholars Partnership. Thank you.